And good morning to you, John Jang, filling in for Mike today. He will be back with you tomorrow in about 23 hours from now. If you want to set your watch, you can make sure you uh, get more of that Mike Smith dose, which is always good to have. But for now, let's uh, bring in Keith Baldry. It's, of course, Baldry's beat. He is Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief. Good morning, Keith. Morning, John. Uh, very nice to be doing this with you. I've yeah. been a long-time listener, first-time caller, so this is very exciting. Uh, Me too. Yeah, Keith, uh, let's get right into it. Uh, you know, we just spoke with Mike Morris, of course, the official opposition critic for uh, the public safety minister and, of course, the solicitor general. He was talking about how the BC Liberals would, of course, love to see the provincial government calling for a state of emergency. Is there any developments on that front today? Well, it's interesting. Uh, public Safety Minister John uh, Mike Farnworth, who is responsible for calling a state of emergency, is in Kamloops as we speak with Premier John Horgan and Forest Minister Katrina Conroy. They're meeting with uh, Wild Service staff up there touring the, the Kamloops Fire Centre to get a sense of what's going on. I've talked to Farnworth about this. I get the impression from him that he thinks a state of emergency will be called mm. at some point. The fire situation's deteriorating. I mean, uh, I think last week we had 136 active fires on Thursday or Friday. Today I just checked 214 mm-hmm. active fires. The number of fires of concern continues to increase. We've got 11 interface fires. Those interface fires are the most serious. They're the ones that come in direct contact with communities, with residences and commercial buildings and such, and there's 11 of them, and uh, uh, that's a lot. So I, I would be surprised if we don't see the state of emergency declared. It doesn't fundamentally change a lot of things. It just gives uh, authorities a little more uh, leeway to, to move things around and to uh, literally give the, the power to f- uh, fire officials to seize property, seize personal property. Uh, and again, just uh, helps more on the logistical front more than anything else. Seems like there will be a press conference this afternoon with Mike Farnworth and Premier John Horgan scheduled for 3.30 this afternoon. Uh, could it be that this will be when they indeed call the announcement of a state of emergency? It's conceivable. Certainly, I wouldn't rule that out. Mm-hmm. I'll be talking to them before that. I'll try to get a sense of that uh, ahead of time. But uh, it would be a good opportunity. I mean, they're right there in the heart of things. I mean, the fire situation really is playing out, most of all, in the Kamloops fire region, uh, which is Kamloops and the areas around Kamloops. Just, you know, it's not the urban center of Kamloops. And the Caribou, which mm-hmm. is really Williams Lake and the surrounding environs. A bit of activity in terms of, of um, fires of note in the Prince George fire region as well. But the most serious ones really are in Kamloops and the Caribou. And, and that's where the Premier and the, and the Public Safety Minister are today and the Forest Minister. So, again, not inconceivable that we could see that state of emergency coming today. Okay, there you go. Uh, Staying with wildfires, just on a slightly different note, uh, the investigation into the cause of the Lytton fire continues. While we don't have an official confirmation reason as of yet, there's beliefs of different kinds. Uh, Take a listen to this, Keith. It's Brad Viss, uh, MP of that area, uh, talking about what he might say about uh, the cause of the Lytton fire. Take a listen. Part of the reason for the fire might be related to the railway. I can't say definitively, and I'm not going to say definitively. We have a process for that in Canada and a proper examination, and that's what, that's what needs to be undertaken right now. Keith, I, from my understanding, uh, CN Rail has uh, agreed to cooperate entirely to find out if this was indeed uh, related to the Lytton fire. Yes, they have. They've got their, their crews are, are on hand there. Uh, we've got our reporters up there uh, who've been reporting CNC and, and CP staff, uh, fire police, uh, also, or, or sorry, CP and CN police up there, uh, in helping with the investigation. We had a witness on Global last night or the night before saying they saw a train go through 
uh, lit on fire, that there was actually fire visible on the train. So, again, all, more increasingly signs are pointing towards the train being responsible for the fire, but we have not got any definitive word yet from the RCMP, nor do we have a definitive word on how many people are missing or right. potentially missing. We have two confirmed fatalities. Um, uh, Lisa LaPointe, the chief coroner, confirmed that uh, with her, her investigative uh, team going in there and looking at that. But we've got no more word of any other fatalities. Uh, and the RCMP says they've received no uh, missing persons reports. So, I mean, that's good news that we haven't got uh, information on that front. But this still remains a mystery and the investigation is ongoing. There is an evacuation order or a, an order that says this area is going to be closed until October. There is talk that some residents may be able to get a tour in a bus uh, through there. There is concern that the air quality is so poor that some of the fumes could be toxic because mm -hmm. of a mixture of chemicals resulting from the fire. So it remains a, a, a dangerous situation, and that's why we don't see a lot of uh, activity in terms of news crews or anything like that going in. Uh, moving to, of course, the COVID-19 front here, Keith, uh, we saw an update. Uh, it seems like less than 100 new cases yet again over the pre previous 24 hours from yesterday. Uh, the numbers continue to stay low, which I think is very encouraging. But I guess some people are wondering, you know, when is BC going to reach that herd immunity status? Well, it's interesting. We're at 78% one dose, 36% two dose. And we want everybody to have two doses. And, mm -hmm. and, and public health officials are reluctant to put a precise figure on what would establish herd immunity. I mean, there's talk that it's 70%. Is it 80%? Is it 85 or 90%? I did the, the numbers yesterday. Uh, and ran the numbers yesterday. So we're going up. Our first dose is increasing by about one percentage point a week, a little more than one percent a week. So from 78 to 85, uh, it would take, you know, it's going to take seven weeks um, on that front. So uh, we're in the second week of, we're in the first week of July. So seven weeks from now, we should be at 85% first dose. Uh, it's going up about, we're going up about eight points a week for second doses. With the 87% of the, of the doses administered every Every day are second doses right mm -hmm. now. Only 13% are first doses. So we're rapidly increasing the second dose, so 8% a day. Again, you do the math, we're probably talking the third week of August to get to that you know, um, mythical 85% range for, for second dose and first dose. And, and that, that's been the target all along. Uh, John, it's, uh, you know, they said, public health said at the, at the beginning of this uh, immunization rollout that the end of August was the goal to have everyone with two doses as much as possible. So it looks like we're on track for that. It's conceivable we could get there sooner because we are getting more vaccines uh, in the latter half of July. And right now we've got about a million doses uh, just, you know, uh, oversupply right now. We're right. doing about 60,000 a day. We could get up to 85,000 a day capacity. And if we can do 85,000 a day, particularly during Monday through Friday, we could get to that 85% even uh, sooner than the third week of uh, August. Well, if it ends up being the third week of August, that's great timing for me because my birthday is literally August 21st, the third week of August. So well, I'm just after you, so we can celebrate together. There you go. A couple of Leos uh, hitting the yeah. town like that. Uh, I'd love to see it. Uh, and, and finally, you know, when we uh, just sort of wrap things up here with another edition of Baldry's Beat before we take your calls, uh, big news, of course, in the federal government front, uh, a new governor general announced it is Mary Simon. Historical reasons, of course, it is the first indigenous leader uh, to take a position like this. Here's Justin Trudeau with the announcement from earlier this morning. We need more leaders like Ms. Simon in high office, people who understand what it means to take on real issues and create positive change. And that's exactly what brings us here today. This morning, 
I can announce that on my recommendation, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II has approved the appointment of Ms. Mary Simon as the 30th Governor General of Canada. And Keith, here is Mary Simon, again, just talking about this appointment and what it means to her. This is a moment uh, that I hope all Canadians feel part of because my appointment reflects our collective progress towards building a more inclusive, just and equitable society. Keith, I think a lot of people are celebrating this, this appointment. Uh, what do you know about Mary Simon? Uh, I got to admit, I got to do a little bit more homework on Mary Simon. Yeah, I think most people don't know much of anything about Mary Simon, but she does certainly have an impressive uh, track record. Uh, you know, she was an ambassador, I think, to Denmark, if I recall. Mm-hmm. Um, she has, uh, again, it's interesting today, she chose to speak in her uh, native language of Inukutuk, uh and she does not speak French, but she says she was denied the opportunity to speak French because she went to in federal government, she was placed in federal government day schools, so mm. she's going to learn French on the job. So this is a historic um, appointment. She grew up in a sort of sub-Arctic region and, and a, what she referred to as a very traditional uh, lifestyle in northeastern Quebec. Uh, even mind, you know, BC also, we had our first Indigenous uh, uh, Lieutenant Governor a number of years ago. Stephen Point was, I think, the first uh, Indigenous uh, representative of the Queen. So we've sort of blazed the path here as well, but it's, uh, it's I think, a landmark appointment of to have an Indigenous person as the Queen's representative, and it comes again on the heels of uh, you know, what's going on with the discovery of unmarked burial sites at residential schools. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very timely and very poignant that today's announcement was made. Absolutely. And I guess most people, most Canadians are just wondering uh, the qualifications of Mary Simon following what happened with Julie Payette. But based on what I've read so far, and again, I need to do a little bit more homework, but Mary Simon, indeed, uh, one of the more qualified candidates, if not the top qualified candidate to get this appointment. Well, we're all Googling Mary Simon now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It'll be one of the top trending searches here in Canada. I, I guarantee yeah, that she, much. She's a past president of the National Inuit uh, Organization. Uh, so she's obviously got, uh, and, and again, as a former ambassador, she has a lot of experience in terms of uh, public roles and, and institutions. So I think she's, uh, she's going to be a, a very good choice. And Keith, one final thought. We spoke with Andrew Ledger, president of QP1004, the union representing PNE workers. They're going to hold a rally tomorrow at Hastings and Renfrew, pressuring the BC government to help save the PNE. They're asking for an $8 million injection, injunction, uh, pardon me, to sort of save the PNE from the lost finances over the past year and a bit. Uh, uh, I know you're a big uh, supporter of the PNE. You worked there once before. Yep. Uh, your thoughts on this rally and just what what it means to get some help from the government? Yeah, I'm a ten year vet of the PNE when I was a teenager, <laughs> so I'm a big supporter of it. I uh, wish them well. The backdrop of this, there's a bit of a game of chicken going on between the NDP government and Mayor Kennedy Stewart and Vancouver City Council. So the NDP government's view is, look, Vancouver, you've got a lot of assets and you've got a lot of fiscal room that you can bring some stuff to the table as well. And, um, and I think it's really what Hor- John Horgan and his team are looking for is a sign from Kennedy Stewart that they're willing to play ball on this. It's not going to be a 100% bailout by the provincial government. They want to see Vancouver come to the table as well. Uh, so it, 
good luck to the to the workers to get this thing off the ground. There is going to be a and e uh, albeit a modified one. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be as financially successful as, as previous ones. So, but nevertheless, the fact that it's occurring should take some of the pressure off. I'm not sure eight million is any more the the number that is required here. It's probably a little less than that if the P&E can actually function and bring in some revenue this summer. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, there is a funding gap there or operating gap, and the pressure is mounting on, on the NDP to do something. But again, I think there's a there's a little back little uh, game of chicken going on between the Premier's office and the Mayor's office. Yeah, we'll see exactly what happens. That rally taking place at two different times tomorrow, again, on Hastings and Renfrew, the entry to the PN.